Today's episode of 11 Personnel is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you, with indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home. We're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com forward slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com forward slash tips. Welcome, Rams fans, to the latest episode of the 11 Personnel Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Rich Hammond, Rams beat writer for The Athletic. Very happy to be joined this week by Steve Weish of NFL Network. I know everybody knows Steve because he's been on your, your TV a lot. And, and during these these times that we're going through, it's, it's such a, a comfort uh, and such a nice distraction to, to have uh, the great coverage of the NFL Network because the league's still going on here. Still decisions being made. We're getting ready for the draft. It's obviously been a huge offseason already for the Rams. And uh, there's almost nobody I can think of who's better positioned to talk about some of these things uh, than Steve because he is around that Rams facility so much. Does an awesome job, really, of uh, keeping track of, of what's going on and bringing that to the to the viewers on, on NFL Network. So, Steve, how are you doing? Thanks for, for joining us, first of all. And uh, how's things going? Uh, being able to still work through all this, it, it must be really remarkable and really challenging at the same time. Yeah, Rich, look, I'm well. And, you know, to say what we're doing is remarkable and challenging. Yeah, we've got our things we have to navigate. But, I mean, look, we, we do have to give props to the people who are really facing this head on, the healthcare workers, the, the people at the supermarkets, the truck drivers the flight attendants, I mean, everybody who are really dealing, you know, the doctors and everything. So everyone who's dealing with this head on. But, you know, in our world, um, it's different, you know, because the NFL Network, you know, we're based here in Los Angeles, and we are not considered necessarily a news agency. So our doors are shut. I mean, no one even can get on the campus um, of the NFL.com, NFL Network compounds, in Culver City. So everything is remote. I mean, our, our, our dot-com people are operating from their homes. And yeah, that may sound easy, but you know, a lot of things have to be centrally orchestrated to get done. And so they've got meetings every day to get that done. And then video-wise, we're not doing anything live. We just don't have the capability to do a live broadcast, which is why we're not doing anything live for the draft, which sucks for us reporters. I mean, we really... I mean, this is, that's usually a huge day for us. We've got breaking news. We compete with other news agencies. Um, so it sucks. We'll be busy doing social stuff and written stuff and digital stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just like a live piece. We have to pre-record stuff earlier in the day. So there's breaking news. Then that's something that kind of just comes across on a ticker during the show. It's just, look, we're adjusting. Uh, we have to be creative as reporters and and – and broadcasters to stay relevant to, you know, fortunately for me, Rich, I was a writer for 20 plus years before I got into the broadcast world. So I, I'm writing stories. You know, I've, I've got a story coming out later this week about how small college players are affected by not having pro days and, and you know, not having the facilities necessary or the money to pay these private trainers to work them out. So I've been, I've been keeping myself kind of relevant that way. But it's, you know. It's a change, and and look, part of this 
when, we, when things get back to normal, part of this is, is going to stick with us. I mean, part of being resourceful the way we've been, I think, is going to, is going to carry over into kind of the new reality that we're all going to have in a few months. Yeah, for sure. It's, it, you know, Steve, it's, it's a great point. And it's, and it's all about perspective to uh, those of us who, who do this. First of all, I, I know we all share this. We're, we're, we're very fortunate to have the work, uh, not, not only for, for the paycheck, but, but just to have the work to do, to have some, some meaning. I, I know it, it, it means a lot to us uh, to have that. We don't, we don't take that for granted. And, and by no means are we comparing ourselves or putting ourselves on the, on the same plateau as, as people who are really keeping this country moving right now and, and allowing us to, to have the lives that we have. So uh, certainly no straight line comparison at all. But, but I, I do think, you know, as people kind of search for, for things that are somewhat normal, uh, things that they're somewhat used to, that they enjoy, uh, even though it's been a challenge for you guys, it, it's still, a, you know, a great thing to have, you know, just to be able to turn on uh, the TV. And even if it's not live or even if it's not, you know, exactly what you like to do, uh, to have that distraction for a little bit, to, to be able to experience something that, that you still love and still want to follow closely. Uh, I think that means a lot. And yeah, Steve, uh, no, no more versatile person out there. Uh, you know, long, long background as a beat writer. I, I think the, the Falcons, the, the Dolphins, uh, I think you had some time in the NBA too, right? Yeah. So you yeah. kind of NBA you, professional boxing. All, I've, I've pretty much done it all except <laughs> for major league baseball and hockey, man. Well, yeah, I, I did some of those too. So they, they all have their positives and negatives, but uh, it, it's fun, fun to get back to that uh, a little bit. So, you know what, we'll, we'll look forward to, to the coverage that's on the network, whatever it is. And, and certainly the coverage that, that's online too. Um, but like I said, Steve, I, I don't say this because he's, he's agreed to, a, to join us here, but uh, you, you talk about people who cover the NFL on, on a national level. And, uh, I, you know, I see Steve at the facility all the time. He's in there, uh, in the press conferences, in the locker room, learning, asking questions, everything. And uh, certainly, uh, as Sean McVay would say, Steve, uh, a lot of respect and appreciation uh, for, for what you do in, in the facility. And uh, you, you really can speak capably here to some of the stuff that the Rams are doing. So I guess I'll just throw it out in general. It's been a really, really newsy off season oh, just yeah. even the last month here for the Rams. I mean, when, when you step back and, and even, you know, using your perspective as, as a guy who covers other teams and, and certainly has a national uh, outlook on this things. I mean, what's, what's your takeaway? Are you, are you surprised by how dramatic this has been over the last couple months? Or, or, or did you kind of see some of this stuff coming, uh, you know, based on how the last season went? Well, Rich, I mean, I think we all could see some of this stuff coming, but I wouldn't necessarily say a lot of it was based on how last season went. I, I think it was how, number one, how they structured a lot of these contracts. I mean, you know, signing Jared Goff to the type of contract they did and the structure of it, signing Todd Gurley to the contract he had and the structure of it, um, knowing that they made a trade, gave up a first-rounder for Jalen Ramsey, and they've got to pay him. I mean, so I think that was the, the big domino for a lot of this. Plus, you know, they had to change the locker room a little bit. I mean, there's some things that they had to do. You know, two years ago, you were there. We, not me. We, not me. We, not me. And then, as, as the great NBA coach Pat Riley used to say, the disease of me seeped in last year. Guys got paid. Guys wanted to get paid. They started thinking about that a little bit more than the process of what they went through the year before to get to the Super Bowl. It happens. It is a natural instinct. It happens everywhere, which is why the Patriots turn over half their roster 
every year. So they don't let that seep in. It's just a natural instinct. And so you saw it. I saw it. They had to do, they had to make some changes. Some of these have been radical though. I mean, people can talk about the loss of Todd Gurley or the trading of, of Brandon Cooks. I'm looking at this defense like, wow. I mean, and I'm not just talking, you know, look, they were so fortunate to get Michael Brockers back because you know, he is the unheralded hero on that defense. You think about that playoff game a couple years ago against Atlanta. They were winning that game until he got hurt, and then the Falcons ran all over them. So he really is a linchpin to what they do up front. But then, you know, you lose a Dante Fowler who is highly productive and a very well respected player, Clay Matthews. You lose Corey Littleton in the middle. So now you're like front seven wise. I mean, Aaron Donald can't carry can't carry all the loaves of bread. They made a couple moves to fortify some things there, but a player who they lost, who to me is, is so vital, was Nicole Roby Coleman. I mean, at yeah. that nickel position, he was one of the best nickel corners in the NFL. And in this division now, where you see Arizona getting DeAndre Hopkins, so now you've got Christian Kirk in the slot, or Larry Fitzgerald in the slot, and you can, you can alternate these guys back and forth. Losing somebody like Roby Coleman is a big freaking blow. And – I know they got a new DC. I know they're going to try some new things, um, but it is going to be challenging. It is going to be challenging for the Rams. I still think Sean McVay is is so good, and going through what he went through last year is going to help him out. Um, but I, I'm very, very interested. I don't think this is a team that's going to bottom out. You know, all of a sudden have a five and eleven type record, but just how he gets guys to compete and galvanize. Um, to get back, because they still have enough talent to get back. Jared Goff is a better player than he gets credit for. Um, but, you know, could Josh Reynolds step up? Are they going to have to go ahead and get another wide receiver? You know, they don't have the draft picks to make a lot of hay. So it's, it's going to be very just intriguing on both sides of the ball and special teams. I mean, losing Bones Fossil who might be the best special teams coordinator in the NFL. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of layers to what's going to happen in 2020. Yeah, I, it's funny. I just got done writing, publishing a story on the athletic on the on the app, the website, uh, kind of talking a little bit about you know what the future is, and and it really didn't occur to me, Steve, fully until I kind of put it down on paper. You know, all the different changes that are going to happen on that defense, and all the young players who are, are going to need to step up right now. Now we know things can still change. It's you know we haven't had the draft yet. There's always. Uh, you know, draft picks, trades, whatever might happen to change things between now and the start of the season. But that list of players, and you start there, the slot, uh, you know, the, the nickel roll, uh, they, they think pretty highly of David Long, uh, apparently, but he's a guy who's basically completely untested. Uh, and the other guys who are going to have to step up, guys like Micah Kaiser, guys like yep. Trevin Howard, Samson Abukam has had, he's had some role, but he's, he's probably going to have to step up into a much bigger one. Uh, Taylor Rapp, you know, good as a rookie last year. It's always a different scenario when it's when it's your job for the start of the season. So there's a lot of things that need to go right there. And, and on top of all that, you're talking about a new uh, defensive coordinator who's, who's going to come in with his own ideas. He's going to need to build relationships. He's going to need to get that defense installed. And we don't know what the offseason is going to look like. We don't know if there right. is going to be an offseason program. So there's a lot of moving parts. And and the way I, I said it, Steve, is I, I think if you project long-term on that defense, you probably go, okay, 
you like Brandon Staley, you, you know, you've got some of these young pieces, you've got Aaron Donald in his prime, you've got young guys who you think you're going to fill in. But boy, 2020, I'm, I'm not real sure. Like there's a lot of dominoes that have to fall exactly the right way in order for that thing to work out. Or, or, am, I, or am I being too uh, chicken little with that? No, and look, it's not like they they don't play in a division with explosive offenses. Right. <laughs> You've got the Seahawks, Niners, and Cardinals twice. I mean, those guys can put some yeah. points on the board. It's just – it's interesting it, to, to me, you know, as, again, as much as we wanted to talk about the identity of this team being the team's offense, the defense has really been the backbone of everything, even to the Super Bowl run. The defense has been the one that made the right. timely plays. The defense was the one who got the ball over to Jared Goff and that offense in a really good field position. Now this is going to be a really offensive tilted team. And then you say to yourself, who do you really fear now? Who do you really fear on that offense? I mean, Josh Reynolds, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, all fantastic players. But is there running back you fear? Is there tight end you fear? I mean, can they be a sum of the parts? We saw the 49ers do that last year. They didn't have an individual you feared offensively, but they worked so well as a unit um, especially at the skill position players where I don't think they had a first-round draft pick other than Emmanuel Sanders, um, they made it work. And, and we know how good of a schemer Sean McVay is with that offensive right. line. I mean, how is that offensive – We that was the issue last year. We can make every excuse for the Rams we want. That offensive line was the issue last year. And are they going to be able to get that fixed? And, you know, Whitworth's coming back. That's fine. They needed to do that because there was no, really no way to, to find someone to do, that's going to be better than him. Um, the right tackle was a nice young player. Looks like Blythe. He's moving over to center, right? Yeah, I think that's the plan, yeah. I mean, he was a nice player. He did a good job at guard. So, you know, if they can figure some of those things out, that's fine. Um, but I, I'm just real. And this is where Sean McVay, the genius of Sean McVay, is, is going to have to be greater than it's been. Uh, of all times, not only as an offensive play caller, but just as as that leader that we know he is and communicator. Because you brought up a great point, we do not know how this off season is going to work, and this team has gone through major, major turnover. Yeah, yeah. To me, those are the two things. Uh, the The offensive line is it, it always starts there, um, and if if they can get that back, I, I think the, the the way I've said it before, I think the puzzle pieces are there. They got to put them all together somehow, and again, not having the off season p- potentially, or at least a reduced off season, not going to help there. Uh, but I, I think there's the potential there, and and then a lot of it's on Sean. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, he's the guy who transformed this offense once. Uh, from from 2016 to 2017, and and turned it into something we didn't we didn't think we were going to see uh, for one, and and did it much faster than than we ever thought we were going to see. So I think there's a little bit of a a bet there that that he can he can make those adjustments again, whether it's going to more 12 personnel, whether it's doing different things from the run game. I, I don't know exactly what the answer is. I'm, I'm sure he's been. We know Sean. I'm sure he's been scheming it every single day uh, since since December 31st. So uh, I'm sure he's got some some ideas. But but Steve, I want to circle. I don't want to brush under the rug. I think you said something really interesting there about kind of the locker room dynamic, and and this plays into into Sean too, and, and kind of his role as a head coach, and and not just as an offensive uh, play caller or scheme designer and that sort of thing. Uh, it, things did change, you know, and, and understandably so when, when guys start to get paid, they're in different situations in, in their lives and their careers. But 
I, I'm curious, what's the lesson that should be taken away from from that, though? Um, because you, you look at the flip side and, you know, fans also get very anxious. Uh, for instance, the Aaron Donald situation, you know, fans are very anxious for a long time. They've got to sign Aaron Donald, got to get Aaron Donald locked up, can't let him, you know, can't risk letting him him get away. So is there a sweet spot there in terms of you, you want to keep these guys hungry uh, but but you also don't want to risk kind of having everything blow up in in your face. It seems like the NFL is a whole different monster when it comes to this stuff than, than some other sports. But you know, if, if the Rams could do it, go back and do it again. What is is there lessons that that they could apply from from how they handled some of these guys? It's really hard to tell because look, it's not like they were a bad team last year, right? Yeah. And so let's say that they didn't pay Todd Gurley. And they franchised him. And we know Todd was sour last year, plenty last year. He would have been worse if he didn't get paid. Um, Right, right. You know, suppose, you know, they weren't able to bring back a Dante Fowler. I mean, you you saw I mean, Rich, you saw him every game. He was a productive player. And, you know, how how would they have addressed that? It it is the toughest tightrope for teams to handle every year. Because you're going to have to lose a good player or two every year. If not just to get players' attention, you've got to do it to handle your cap. I mean, I was blown away when the 49ers traded away DeForest Buckner. I was like, wow, I mean, that guy's really good. But they said, you know what, we've got a bunch of other players we've got to pay. We've got young guys coming up. Plus, you just don't want to have your roster back every year unless you've got a Patrick Mahomes, unless you've got someone like that who's – you win games because of him, not because he's a good player. You win games because of him. And it's just I, – I think Sean learned to take the temperature of his team. I think Les Snead, the general manager, learned taking the temperature of the character of your team is, is, is hugely important. You have to adjust to it. You've got to get a different buy-in from guys. You've got to find different leaders. You know, if a, if a Todd Gurley or if another player who's a really – good guy, you know, all of a sudden gets a little sour or something. You got to find other people to stand up. And that's a hard thing to do when you've got big personalities in your locker room. And again, it's a tightrope. The Patriots, to have someone like Tom Brady have the buy-in like he had every year, you know, not take the biggest contract. And to be able to walk up to guys who just joined the team and say, like an Antonio Brown, I love you. It's going to work here. Instead of waiting to see how it's going to work out by being proactive. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it is the hardest thing, which is why it's so hard to establish a dynasty and to get to back-to-back Super Bowls because you've got to flip, you know, most coaches just flip their roster and change personality. But that's, again, based on contract structure and things like that, that's a hard thing to do. And I think the Rams found that out the hard way. They tried to play it one way. All these contracts came up. They got a little bit of salary cap hell. Um, and now they're trying to set themselves up moving forward, uh, not just for 2020, but even more so 2021 cap wise. Yeah, it, it's a whole different animal for me, Steve. And in, in trying to, I mean, this is now you know four years. Wow, that goes fast. But, yeah. You know, four years since since the Rams have been back. But you mentioned, you know, you never covered hockey. I did for a long time. And it is so different in terms of, of all of that stuff you're talking about. Guaranteed because- contracts, man. Guaranteed contracts. Yep. If you sign your your hockey player to a five year contract, 
he's yours, you know, d- death to you part, <laughs> you know, better or worse, uh, unless some extraordinary situation comes along. So in, in that sense, it's more, and not only do you have smaller rosters too, but but you really kind of, in, in those kind of team sports where you have guaranteed contracts and, and caps, and that sort of thing, you you identify your core of, of however many players it is, five, six, seven, and and then those are your guys, and and you build around them, and and you have that certainty with your core, and and then you you work around it. But it's it's still extraordinary to me, and even now, you know, this being another off season where uh, things can change, and and these contracts you sign, you, you might sign a guy to a three year contract knowing you're going to let him go after the first year, you know, and, and the Rams have been through this a couple times, uh, signing Eric Weddle the, the way that they did, right. signing John Sullivan the second time around the way that they did, uh, you know, si- even this year, signing Andrew Whitworth the way that they did, signing him to a three-year contract. By, by no means does anybody think uh, that, that he's going to complete a, a three-year contract. Um, so it, it really is such a, I guess it's a chemistry experiment, right? I mean, you're constantly having... Uh, to to kind of to take the gauge of of where the locker room is, where the roster is, and and things that make sense in 2018 often don't make any sense at all in 2020. Uh, so I, I think that that's what we're seeing a little bit here, right? I mean, the Rams when they made those decisions in 2018, whether it was Gurley or or the Cooks extension, you look at those in the moment and say. All right, this makes sense for the moment. We've got, like you said, you can't have a surly Todd Gurley holding out or being mad because he's franchise tagged. Uh, can't you know risk losing Brandon Cooks to free agency after you just acquired him in this big trade. So those are moves that make sense at the time. And then two years down the road, they don't make sense anymore. And and you look kind of bad because you know you're, you're reversing field so quickly after making those moves. But I think the worst thing to do is to not reverse field and, and just to continue down and kind of doubling down on, on your mistakes. I mean, is that, is that the way you kind of have to look at it? Absolutely. You know, and the one thing, you know, and I, and I, I should probably ask Lestine about this because I'm sure the answer would probably know, but the fact that they have mortgaged so many high draft picks to acquire talent instead of using right. those draft picks and getting guys on rookie contracts. I mean, they traded a first rounder for Brandon Cooks. They traded a first rounder for Jalen Ramsey. They traded what two, if not well, they traded two for Goff and changed the position. So right. these are guys you're not having on rookie contracts. These are veterans you're bringing in for the most part. You're signing to veteran contracts, which of course are significantly more expensive than rookie deals. And that's where you know they went not from zero to sixty, but sixty to zero in a heartbeat because they did not have the flexibility of rookie deals. That's why the 49ers could sign Jimmy Garoppolo to that big deal and sign free agents like a D Ford or a Richard Sherman to an affordable deal because they had so many guys on rookie contracts to give them flexibility. Now they're kind of going up against that wall, which is why they had to get rid of DeForest Buckner because he was coming up. The Rams have not given themselves that flexibility because, again, of trading away so many of their draft picks. And, you know, look, it, it got them to a Super Bowl. It, they, they've had winning records. You know, they, they've been a very good team. It's worked. But now, where's that flexibility? Because they're going to have to pay Jalen Ramsey now. You know, does even though it's an abbreviated camp, does he show up if he doesn't have a contract yet? Um, so you, you've got all you've got all of those things to kind of finesse through. And I and I think moving forward, 
you're going to start to see them play the fairways more than the greens. And, and by saying that, I think they're going to play the long game a little bit more and not trade away their first-round draft picks so they can get some of that financial flexibility that, they, that they've kind of stripped themselves of. Yeah, there's a lot of big swings there for a while. And, and I don't really say that in a, in a critical way because, you know, the big swings, that's uh, you hit home runs a lot of times, right? When you, when you take those big swings. But I, I, don't think it's a, I don't think it's a long-term sustainable strategy. I don't think you can keep doing that year after year after year. Eventually, uh, I'm not saying it catches up with you, but eventually you, you have to alter that, that strategy a little bit. And, and maybe that's, that's where they are right now. And, and if those moves hit, then then it looks different, you know, if, if Brandon Cooks ends up hitting and, and he's a, you know, a thousand yard receiver for the next four years, then, um, then, you know, you, then it's worth it, but it didn't turn out that way. Um, so well, but, but Rich, I, I did for you, it did turn out that way. They got to a Super Bowl. Yeah. They, right. They hit. Right. I mean, the moves they made, they hit. I mean, even with Marcus Peters, they hit, you know, but then all of a sudden, oh man, okay, we hit, but now we're, we got a backpedal. Right, because we don't want to pay Marcus Peters a big deal, so let's get rid of him and keep to leave. Okay, we bring in Jalen Ramsey. Okay, we give up a first round draft pick, so they kind of stepped on their own toe again. But they're going to get a great player who's a, a, a value position for the next couple of years. So now they've addressed their value positions, right? Corner, D tackle, quarterback. But where are the draft picks to find a left tackle? Another value position that you cannot pay a high contract to. Right. Because you just are, you're going to strip yourselves of that financial flexibility again. You know where yeah. is that? Where is that financial flexibility to draft a great pass rusher? Where is that draft pick? Oops, don't have it. Right. Those are anchor positions where you cannot have consistent free agents. Otherwise, you're going to end up in kind of the rut that they could end up in the next one or two years trying to play catch up. Yeah. No. No. For sure. And uh, they're. They leveraged a lot of those those first and, and second round picks. There's there's no doubt about it, and uh, they put themselves in a position. Obviously, they recoup a, a second round pick in uh, in the Brandon Cooks trade. So you know there's a guy who could who could be valuable. We'll see where that goes. But uh, Steve, before we uh, kind of pivot to some of that stuff, I I didn't, didn't want to uh, go too long without talking more about Todd Gurley. A little bit, you know what? What do you expect? And I, I know again, you you hear things from from even outside the Rams building, so you, you have a broader perspective um, than I do. Now, now he goes to Atlanta, obviously uh, a much smaller deal. We don't know exactly what their their expectations are for him, their their role. Uh, but somebody uh, somebody put this question to me. I, I think in in my um, comment section of one of my stories, which was. Do you think Todd Gurley will still be in the league by the time that uh, four-year extension that he signed expires? Obviously, it's now null and void because they they canceled it. But I guess the the, the point of the question is, what's the short-term and long-term future here for, for Todd Gurley? Is, is he going to be able to... Uh, to bounce back, is he going to be able to show the Rams something here in in moving on to Atlanta, or or, or do you think the Falcons are just kind of inheriting uh, the same problem that the Rams had for the last year and a half? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And first off, by virtue of the position, it's all short term. I mean, he's a running back. It, it is hard to keep it going. We know Todd for five years, six years was a freaking workhorse. Because um, you know the one thing that's not taken into account, we always look at touches. Pass protection. And Todd Gurley was a fantastic yeah. pass protector. And when you've got to pick up Von Miller, 6'5", 280, coming around the corner, 
or, or someone like that, that is the most violent collision a running back takes. And it's rarely factored into the durability equation when we talk about running backs. But so, so let's get to Atlanta. Um, he's going to have a better offensive line. They just got a really fantastic blocking tight end. Okay. Um, it, it's still how they're going to use him. I think Dirk Cutter is going to use him more as a receiver because Dirk Cutter does not like to run the football. <laughs> I mean, they are going <laughs> to look at Matt Ryan's attempts. Um, look at, you know, even when Dirk Cutter was in Tampa, Jameis Winston's attempts, he throws the football. So I think Todd Gurley is going to be used more in the passing game. Um, I think they're going to lean on him. You know, it's funny, and you and I both heard this. You talked to the Rams. They wanted to manage his carries. You talked to Gurley. He didn't need to be managed. Run him until the wheels fall off. And that, and that, was, and that was part of his frustration. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I talked to Terrell Davis, who had the same type of injury Todd Gurley had, of course, in the UGA product. And he said, look, that's the type of injury. Because the, the one thing, when it popped up on the injury report last year, Todd Gurley quad injury. We were all like, wait a second. Did he take a mm-hmm. shot? Did he take a lick that we didn't see? And Terrell Davis said that knee injury at some point exhausts your quad because you work so hard to strengthen your quads to support the injury that you're not always going to have it, right? Because you're rehabbing, 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 even during the season. And it's just you're just not going to be able to get it every down. And and so people are wanting to see if that's what's going to happen with Todd. But I do think going back to him playing on turf a little bit is going to help. I think playing in an offense that's going to be a little bit more open like that is going to help. And, you know, it's it, it's a big wait and see. I think Todd's going to be very motivated, um, not as if he, he wasn't motivated, but I think the fact that, you know, you see some of the things he's posting on social media and things like that, I think he's going to be very, very motivated uh, to go out and show people that he's still got it. So we'll see. I, I, I like Todd. I, I think he's a very good player. I do think the Rams underutilized him last year. Um but again, we're, we're just waiting to see what a guy who's had a lot of collisions and a lot of wear and tear can do on a consistent basis. There will be flashes, but to do on a consistent basis in a division where offenses are probably going to have to score about 45 points a game to win. Yeah, wow, that's that's pretty crazy. <laughs> and and yeah, to, to the point about the quad, I, I, I've seen that in other sports too, That just that, that compensation even sometimes. I've seen guys even develop like hip problems because you know they 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 don't want to use their knees the same way or their ankle or whatever it might be, and uh, that that stress has to go somewhere, and it ends up going to to another part of your body, and and sometimes causing problems that you didn't even have before, and and suddenly yeah, remember, you, you do. Remember when that popped up? I mean, I was there yeah. that day, and we were like, wait a second, did he take a, a lick? And Sean was kind of like, no, no, it's just something that's been going on for a couple of weeks. And I talked mm-hmm. to a couple other people, you know, who dealt with him. And they're like, yeah, you know, every now and then he'll talk about his quad. And when I talked to Terrell Davis about that, he brought that up. He's like the same thing that happened to me. And we know Terrell yeah. Davis, Hall of Famer, but even though he played seven years, he actually only really played five because two of them came post-surgery and he just wasn't the same guy. No, that's, uh, believe me, I'm a, certainly not a medical doctor, but but I've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence in that. And if, if you're not 100%, uh, then again, that that stress has to go somewhere. It doesn't just doesn't just vanish, and uh, it, it can go to, to other parts of your body. So, I, I'm fascinated to see what what happens there. I don't think anybody has any animus towards Todd. Uh, certainly, no. as a, as a person or as a running back, I'd love to see him bounce back and and enjoy some some great success. 
uh, going forward. So fascinated to see what happens there. But well, so what does this leave the Rams at running back? Now, we had heard, I think even going back to the combine or maybe even before the combine, uh, kind of about this committee approach. And, and obviously, you know, we talked about the load management last year. Uh, but but now Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown, uh, I guess you could throw John Kelly in there as a, as a practice squad guy who's kind of bounced back and forth. There's nobody there who's been a, a lead back other than Malcolm at times when Todd was hurt or being rested or the week 17 scenarios, things like that. So I, it's hard for me to see, Steve, at, at this point, them being able to identify one of those guys and saying, okay, that's our lead back. That's the guy who can get 18 to 23 carries uh, per game if we need them to. Maybe that develops uh, naturally, or maybe this is a scenario where it's just kind of roll them out there, see who you can get in the draft, and and kind of see how it all comes out in the wash during training camp. I mean, what, what's the what's the most realistic scenario for them there? Well, I think everything's on the table in terms of, hey, is someone going to step up? Um, are we going to have to go by committee? Because last I checked, the San Francisco 49ers were gashing people with a different running back every game. Yes. I mean, one week it's, you know, it's Mostert. The next week it's, it's Brita. Um, now, they were a different level of run game, which is where I think we are going to see the tweak with the Rams offense. What did the 49ers utilize better than any team last year? The fullback, fullback. slash H-back. Yep. Absolutely. And I think you were there at the combine when we were talking to Sean over in the corner and I kind of brought that up to him Mm -hmm. and he was kind of coy about it. Now that's not saying, you know, it's something he's going to use more than 20 or 30% of the time, which is the same with the Niners, but you saw them move around George Kittle to play a little fullback or to use him and some ghost blocking schemes to kind of be a lead for the running back. I I think you're going to see some changes in schemes. I think you will see them utilize him two back, which is something that Sean has not done very much. Um, but it's something if you have got someone like a Gerald Everett or a Tyler Higby who can block, who can catch, and you put them back there from time to time, how do you cover that guy? That was one of the biggest – talking to defenses, that was one of the biggest headaches for teams trying to defend Kyle Juszczyk. Right. Is he blocking me or is he going out on a pattern? Because they gave you that same look over and over and over in the run game, and bang, next thing you know, Juszczyk is 12 yards downfield wide open because the linebacker thought he's coming on a block. Oh, wow, he missed a block. I'm going to hit Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, no, Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball to the guy I'm supposed to be covering. So I, I think that's something to look at. Maybe with expanded practice squad rosters that we're going to have now with this new collective bargaining agreement, that's something that they work with um, as well to see if there's someone they can develop for that type of role. You know, especially in light of not having that dynamic running back. And I'm sure either whether it's undrafted free agency or undrafted free agent or, you know, late in the draft, they're going to add another running back. I mean, that's just a position where there's there's a ton of players who are going to be available that they can give a shot that fit the scheme that they're going to try to get in to come and develop as well. Who's who is that that guy? Let, let's assume it's not somebody from from off the roster or draft or anything. Is that I don't I don't necessarily know whether that's a Gerald Everett. Is it a is it a Tyler Higby? Um, is it even a Johnny Munt? I don't I don't know whether he has the the offensive skills. Yeah, Munt's more of a blocker. Yeah, um, I think I think Higby's the guy. We saw 
I mean, what an evolution that guy had. I mean, he was a receiver when he came in. Where did he come from? Middle Tennessee or, or one of the directional Tennessee uh, yeah, schools? Yeah, one of the Kentucky, Kentucky schools, yeah. Western right. Kentucky. And so, right, he was no more of a receiver. And the next thing you know, he's, he's hammering guys in the run game. Right. And so I, I think the versatility he's shown, he can do whatever. It's a fantastic athlete. Um, you know, he was somebody he – was, he was a second-round pick a couple of years ago, right? I mean, and they, and they utilized him. Um, so I think there are ways where they could utilize both just with different licks, looks. I don't think it would be something consistent. Right. And maybe they can add – again, Juszczyk wasn't drafted, I don't think. I, I don't think most of these fullbacks are drafted. Maybe they can add somebody um, and check them out in that role. I mean, no team's really going to draft a fullback these days because teams aren't really using them in college with a lot of these formations. So maybe there's a hybrid type guy who's a, you know, a tight end wide receiver type or some nasty type of, of guy who they can bring in on, as an undrafted player uh, who is also a fantastic special teams player um, who catches their attention, who they can use in that role from time to time. I, again, I'm, I'm just yeah. – it's a copycat league. I think more and more teams are going to see what Kyle Shanahan did last year and what Andy Reid does a lot because they, they implement the fullback as well. Uh, who's a receiver and a hammer in, in a blocking game and start incorporating that more into their offenses because and, and also you've got these 220 pound inside linebackers who are who are more of these chase linebackers in mm-hmm. today's defense they've got a tackle in space and somebody who could just jam up in there and stuff the run yeah it's uh, it'll be interesting one thing i i much to the chagrin of our of our podcast name, I, I think the the days of you know ninety percent eleven personnel uh, or even more are are, are done. I, you know, I think that that served Sean well for for the time that he did it, and and it made a lot of sense, and and it you know frustrated the hell out of a lot of defenses, that's for sure. But uh, I, I think Sean is is probably first in line to recognize that. Uh, some changes are going to have to come, and and I'd expect uh, quite like you said, Steve. I I don't think any any one thing exclusively, or even one thing the majority of the time, but but just as many different looks that that you can throw at people, and uh, having the different kind of skill sets of of running backs too. Factor that in. Daryl Henderson's a much different kind of running back than Malcolm Brown is, and right. whoever they might bring in uh, through the draft, maybe a different kind of skill set there so uh, i'm really interested to see uh how they how they use all those guys it's it's definitely not going to be the same you know line them up make it all look the same and and then uh do do your work uh i think we're going to see a lot of uh, different stuff here but uh steve along those lines let's pivot to the draft a little bit and uh on the athletic we had our dane brugler published they call it the beast it's a big seven-round full, right. uh, you know, I mean, he he goes into every prospect. I can't even imagine how many hours it takes to research all of these people and do the scouting reports. It's invaluable for people like me and and uh, for, for people who, who just like to follow the draft and, and see who might uh, fit into, into different uh, draft spots or whatever. But uh, the Rams, you know, uh, so many different ways they can go here. We, we talked about not having a first-round pick. So uh, they're not going to pick first until number 52, and they follow it up now with number 57 because of the Brandon Cooks trade. Uh, two third-round picks, their own, and then the uh, compensatory pick at, at the end of the round. So I think it's four out of the first 104, uh, which is a pretty good number. But again, you don't have that high uh, pick that, that you might normally have. So 
there's a lot of ways I've seen, and I know I'm sure you have too, so all these mock drafts and all the different ways that you can address, especially those those earlier picks, those, those maybe those two second round picks. We're talking about offensive line. We're talking about receiver, running back, inside linebacker, edge rusher, safety, where there's a little bit of a depth issue too. Cornerback, as we talked about, not not having Nickel, having to rely on uh, some of these younger guys to to hopefully potentially uh, step in. So how do you uh, how do you judge this, Steve? I mean, based on their needs and and based on kind of what we know about the strengths of this draft. Uh, if you had to, I'm putting you on the spot here. I'm sorry, but if if you had to, to kind of oh, make no a problem. guess on on where they go with some of those early picks, is is it more for some of those depth issues, or are they looking at guys who can maybe step in uh, sooner rather than later? Well, look, the the positions where they're needy are the positions where if one a lot of talented players are going to slide back. I mean, because there's going to be so many wide receivers taken. Yeah. In the first round, probably four quarterbacks taken in the first round. It is going to push edge rushers. It is going to push some of these really talented inside linebackers uh, into the second round. It is going to push some of these wide receivers into the second round. I, and some of these offensive linemen. And look, I, I, somewhere along the way, they have got to get, and maybe it's with the first pick in the second round, second pick in the second round. Maybe they package them and move up. They've, they've got to get offensive line. They have really, again, what happened last year was such a wake-up call, and they've got to eventually find their left tackle. Do you find him in the second round? Who knows? But Andrew Whitworth, as we know, this is probably a one-year deal. He's contemplated retirement the past two years. So they've got to start really preparing for that without, again, having to mortgage everything to go into free agency to do that. Um, but when I look at what they are trying to do and, and the hits they've taken – I'm thinking second round, they've got to get an inside linebacker, and there's going to be players there. There will be very, very good inside linebackers there. We saw Corey Littleton was absolutely fantastic. He's gone. Okay, They have got to get athletic at that position, but they've got to be stout at that position as well. I I think that's going to be an area that's going to be hard for them to pass on if if some of these talented players are there. I, I I do not think they're going to go wide receiver initially with that position. And they've, and they've been fantastic finding talent in the mid-rounds at wide receiver. I mean, Cooper Cup, Josh, right. you know, Josh Reynolds. Gosh, Josh Reynolds is what? Was he fourth, fifth-round guy? Oh, yeah, fourth, I believe. I mean, yeah, I mean, fantastic player. Um, so, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll probably wait on that because I think they feel comfortable there. But I think, you know, when you look at the linebacker spot and when you look at, at that offensive line, the tackle spot, I know they've got to address a guard spot. If they're moving Blythe over to center – I mean, they might be looking for a starter there, and there's going to be some good guards in that in that sweet spot of the draft right in that area as well. So I, I think those are the three areas. To me, safety, you know, John Johnson's coming back. Taylor Rapp's coming back. They're, they've got players. I mean, those two guys are really good. You know, and they could, they could end up being just an, an incredible tandem. Johnson's a guy they got to end up paying at some point um, coming off the injury. But, you know, nickel corners, that's a that's a highly valued position as well. We'll see how highly they value it. But, I, again, Rich, I, I just don't think they could overlook the offensive line and the inside linebacker position in the in, you know, in those early rounds. I, I mean, I think those those are positions that they have to target. 
Running back, yeah. I mean, there might be a guy there. I mean, hell, if Zach Moss is there from Utah, that's going to be a hard. <laughs> that's going to be a hard right. player to pass on if you've got a talent like that, because he could come in and, and start and rock the bells, because um, he's such a complete player. But I, I just, I just think the Rams have so many other need areas they, they've got to address. And this is one we talk about need areas. You know, a lot of people talk about the BPA, the best player available. They, they've got to hit some of these neat areas, and, and they've got to hit. They don't just draft players. They've got to hit on some of these spots. Yeah, that inside linebacker position, boy, you talk about guys who might have to step up. I mean, that entire position is is filled when we're talking about guys like Micah Kaiser, Traven Howard, yep. uh, Kenny Young, Troy Reader. I mean, these are guys who, who contributed at times, but – uh, wow, I mean, do, do you feel totally confident with with that bunch as 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 your inside backers? Uh, I I don't know if if you can look to add to that in the second round, uh, you know, or even early that first pick of the third round. Uh, I don't see how you pass that up. Running back to me is is kind of the it's definitely the third rail here when we're we're talking about uh, you know when when you pull the trigger on that. I, you know, I I'd seen I had mocked myself. You know, running back in the second round, and and people go, "What are you doing? How can you have a second round running back?" And I go, "Oh, but you've also only got Daryl Henderson and and Malcolm Brown and John Kelly. So at some point you you have to address that. But can oh, you absolutely. wait? Can you wait until the fourth round and and maybe one of those guys sneaks in there. Maybe you can, uh, but but Steve, that left tackle position. Now I I think we have a pretty good understanding of what the Rams were thinking last year, and maybe what I guess maybe you'd say what the best case scenario was, which was Andrew Whitworth. You know, obviously would would play out his contract. They had uh, drafted and developed uh, Joe Noteboom for a year, right. uh, planned to have him at left guard and hopefully play well there and then maybe be able to move over to left tackle after after Whitworth retired. Now, all of that just went in the garbage because, uh, you know, the, the line had its struggles to begin with. So things really weren't the way that you wanted them to look from the jump. And then those guys get hurt. Joe Noteboom uh, tears an ACL middle of the season. He's lost. Don't need. You know, we we don't know even kind of how he's progressing right now. He's uh, apparently progressing pretty well, but again, with this off season, we don't know exactly what his rehab is like. We don't know how he's going to be able to get back on the field and that sort of thing. So, I, I'm really torn here in terms of I, I I tend to think they they have to at least identify somebody. It, right now, or, or at least by the time training camp comes along, whether it's you still think you can go ahead with the note boom plan and that he can bounce back and you're still confident that he can be your left tackle. They've talked a little bit about Bobby Evans, who uh, played right tackle last really year and came in. Really after, good player. Yeah. So do you think he uh, projects and, and can slide over to that left tackle spot? Or if there's somebody there at 52 or 57 who you really like and you think can be the guy, you know, in 2021 and, and beyond, do you have to pull that trigger? I, I don't know. I mean, does, does any one of those options sound any better to you? I, I kind of agree. Like, I, I think you have to at least cover yourself and, and draft one of those guys early, even if you think, okay, note boom will be there. Bobby Evans could be there. I, I still think you, you have to cover yourself a little bit and, and get somebody who can who can fall in that line too. Well, 100%. Because, again, their lack of overall draft picks or lack of high draft picks, this is where it's coming back to, to haunt them. And, you know, look, 
they missed on uh, the center they drafted two years ago. Uh, he wasn't the player they thought he was going to be, right? So, right now, yeah. But they hit on a guy like Bobby Evans. So to me, if you see a tackle there who you think is going to be your guy and fit your system, he doesn't have to be the most dominant guy in college football, but who fits what you want to do, you go get him. Because, again, you don't know if Doboom can sustain. If he's someone who's got to slide in and play guard because of an injury or if you got to flip in the right guard for a year, you do that to get him playing time. I mean, the Rams have done a good job of grooming some of these offensive linemen, but they haven't they haven't found that dominant guy. Maybe Bobby Evans is one. I mean, he really had a good year last year. But And we, and we know, look, Aaron Cromer is one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL as well. So, again, that, that would be really, really hard for them to pass up on if one if there's an offensive lineman right there because if you hit then you won't have to go into free agency to replace a Whitworth right and that's going to save you so much money to give you the flexibility to address some other needs as some of these other you know positions come up so they're they're in a, look I think they're in kind of a sweet spot to find some of these positions at left tackle it's not a great left tackle draft. So, and again, the wide receiver is going to push a lot of these guys back down the line. Um, so we'll see. I, I do think there's going to be some inside linebackers there that they're really, really going to like. And and those are positions that offensive line, inside linebacker, I think that are going to be just hard to look up with some of those those early second round picks. Yeah. You know, the other uncomfortable reality here maybe with that left tackle spot is – uh, Andrew Whitworth is <laughs> I'm not sure he's human. I mean, he, he's just such a, a specimen, uh, but he's 38 years old. And uh, the, the ability that he's had to keep himself, uh, he's an extraordinary shape. I mean, it's, it's a, he's, a, he's a physical marvel with, with what he does, but uh, you're, you're only always one sprained ankle away or one twisted knee away, as we saw from the Rams uh, last year. So I think you also have to be mindful of that when you talk about uh, that, that left tackle spot and, and not knowing what the short-term future is for Joe Noteboom, uh, things like that. So you got to be a little mindful of, of that too. So uh, you, you, I don't think you can ever have too many offensive linemen. I, I think that's never. probably a fair fair way to say it. But 100%. Yeah. So Steve, before we let you go, uh, two topics I'll, I'll throw out at you. If you have, if you have an opinion uh, or, or, or insight on either one, feel free to grab one or you feel free to punt both of them. Uh, the Rams uh, introduced new logos, new colors. It was quite a talker uh, and continues to be among the fans talking about off-field stuff. And the other thing, on a more serious note, SoFi Stadium. Uh, we have kind of heard, uh, you know, kind of newsy nuggets coming out. The construction still going on. That They've had uh, a couple workers reportedly uh, you know, test positive for, for COVID-19. They're, they're taking measures to try to make sure that things are safe there, that they can continue uh, on with the construction. Uh, these are two big things that are that are talkers for Rams fans right now. Um, you know, not not only kind of how those logos look and, and you know, how the uniforms might look, but uh, even down to what stadium the Rams might be playing in when we right. hopefully when we hopefully have a season in in 2020. So I'm I'm throwing both of those out to you. You can feel free to grab either one of them if you want. Okay, personally, the logo, not a fan, not a fan. Um, look, I I've seen change. I you know whatever. I'm not I'm not one of these guys who's a traditionalist or whatnot. Yeah. But you know, to me, 
the Rams have some of the most classic uniforms and, and classic things. And I was really hoping that they would go back, as you hear me on, see me on Twitter, to the kind of Roman Gabriel blue and white. Mm-hmm. And the logo would look more like that. When I first saw the logo, I was like, it looks like a Chargers logo. It looks really like this is where we are with the battle for L.A. <laughs> you know, I, you know. Right. But look, it is what it is. We'll get used to it. But, you know, when it comes to logos, I'm one of these guys who's like, how good does it, is it going to look on a hat? That is right. not an iconic hat logo. Like the L.A. Dodgers, that is iconic, right? The, the old Rams horns, that is iconic. What they got working on right now will look good on a bumper sticker, but not necessarily on a hat. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the stadium, um, look, I've spoken to Kevin Demoff, as you. He said, you know, he thinks they've built in enough of a cushion to at least have it operationally ready. Uh, maybe not for the Taylor Swift concert made voyage debut, but, you know, for the football season. You know, because we just don't know if they're going to be able to have fans in there right now. So yeah. uh, there's so there's just so much, you know, we just don't know. But in terms of the construction, he's told me they haven't slowed down a bit. Um, and look, part of it, our NFL Network building is going up right yeah. next to it, right? And, and yeah. the construction of that is almost complete. Now, we're not going to be in there until 2021 for the functionality of it. But the construction is ongoing. And if the weather continues to hold, I, I, I guess they're going to be on schedule because if Gavin Newsom hasn't been able to shut down that type of construction, I, I don't – unless things get worse with this COVID-19 or the mother of all earthquakes comes, it looks like they're going to continue at the pace they're going on. So so that's your building that's that's going up next to the stadium? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I, I saw that. I didn't know – I didn't know what the I've, – I've seen, you know, pictures in the webcam and stuff, but uh, I, I didn't know that was, that was your building. So, wow, you're going to be right there, aren't you? Career goals, Rich, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the duration of a contract. You have a certain length of a contract and you hope to see it through. My goal yeah. is to make sure I at least set foot in that new building before they before they kick me to the curb. Yeah, same here. <laughs> same here. <laughs> the, how about the Ramhead logo? See, I, I'm kind of like... That, that's okay. It's all right. Yeah. I you're, mean... You're okay with that? That, that one okay looks okay that. on a on a t-shirt, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, have said, I, I know you, you've been in, in LA for, for a while now, but it, the, I, am not like the Dodgers. They'd certainly pull off the LA logo. I mean, just an iconic, you know, classic looking logo, but I, I'm just, I'm not a big fan in general of the LA, uh, logo. Like I understand why it has to be done for marketing purposes. You know, you, you want to be seen as, as the LA team or whatever, but, I don't know the the whole letter thing. Like it's it's just it's not really my thing. Yeah, but like, what exactly is a Dodger? Like, what could you replace it with? <laughs> okay. you know? Good point. Yeah. What, what are you what are you going to replace it with? I mean, yeah. there's something or I could Laker, say, but I, I won't right now for political reasons, which would get me in trouble. But um, <laughs> you know, um, look, as someone who grew up between Minneapolis and St. Louis, right? The old Twins hats with the TC and the old base- mm-hmm. Cardinals baseball hats with the STL. Yeah, maybe maybe that's why I'm drawn to it. But, you know, it's – come on, man. Rich, you, gotta, you, you can't sit there and say that the new logo seriously does not look like something out of like Dragon Ball Z or, you know, something like that as compared to something that, you know, is going to stick on your chest like the Lakers logo or, 
you know, right. something that's really you're you're really going to ride with for the next thirty years. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm. I'll probably get into trouble for for saying this, but yeah, I, I just. I there was one part of it I didn't understand. I I don't know why the uh, the bottom of the uh, ram horn doesn't curl. Like I I know what they're getting at with the the, the perfect circle and and uh, the the sequence and all that, but. Like even just having a little bit of a curl on the end of it, I don't know. I'm getting too. I've been. I've been. I've been in my. I've been in my condo for too long, Steve. You start to think about these things uh, way too much, but uh, but it is something to to talk about. And uh, again, we, I know we're all we're grateful to to have the opportunity to to do this frivolous uh, discussion. Right. Um, you know, I know I, I'm certainly grateful to to the athletic, and and I know you are too to NFL Network. Sure. And, NFL.com to uh, to be able to produce the the content that we are. So uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Where can uh, Twitter best place to to get you at at Weish eighty nine? Is that uh, yeah, that we should send Weish eighty nine? Send them in there. You know, just if you come for me, I'm coming back. As I put on my on my uh, bio, respect the dojo. And we're all good. Uh, Steve is a is a great guy, and I, I don't just say this because he's on my podcast. It's it's been a real pleasure to get to know him over the last couple of years, and it's always uh, wonderful to see him out at the facility. So, Steve, I will very much look forward to the day when uh, I can see you out there again at a uh, Rams OTAs or training camp or whatever it ends up being. So. Uh, stay safe there, and uh, thanks for being on the air. Thanks for giving us something to watch, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon, all right? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Rich. Really appreciate it, and everybody stay safe. For sure, for sure. Thanks, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Do appreciate it. Thanks for following along with me on Twitter, at Rich underscore Hammond. Uh, we'll continue to track things. Got the draft coming up in, in just a week, so we'll be back with you next week to kind of do a final little preview of, of what the Rams might do. I'll make all kinds of bad predictions uh, about uh, how the Rams might draft and what kind of players might be coming in. But until then, definitely follow along with us on The Athletic, the app, and the website. Uh, feel free to pass the word along about the podcast. We've got some uh, exciting news coming very soon that I'll be able to share with you, and uh, look forward to that. So please, everybody, do stay safe out there. Take care of yourselves. And have a good week. We will talk to you again real soon.